we're a society that completely forgets the contributions of women and we're very much used to tearing women down. Hello and welcome to our International Women's Day special episode. You're listening to How to Rob a Bank. I'm Bea. I'm Zoe. And we are honoured to be joined by a very special guest, Nina Cheetah. Nina is a medical writer based in Canada who brings together art and science by illustrating trailblazers in science who happen to be women. Thank you so much, Nina, for joining us today. Hi, I'm so happy to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. (laughs) What has been the reaction to your work as a science communicator? It's actually been really positive. I think people have been quite happy to see a different medium and also to incorporate art. Um, I have found that not many people use art uh, to communicate science, so I've kind of built my niche. We love that so much. And it's true. And your work is original, right? So they're all original paintings. Um, I research everything myself and um, do the paintings myself. So yeah, it's completely original. I think when I first started in 2017, there was hardly any science artists around. And I'm so happy to see that there's more scientists incorporating art in their work. Oh, I love it. Are you down for a quick quiz? Like no right answer type quiz? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I will try to do my best. Um, so I do try your weekly quizzes and I think it gets to like the third the third question oh, this, and I'm not going to see anything like that don't worry <laughs> I've got like a pen in hand to like quickly work out some calculations or... what's 3,255 times 6,599 oh, no. <laughs> no it's not that <laughs> okay so it's not going to be anything like our study quizzes it's going to be much more relaxed than that amazing um, so are you ready yes first question UK or Canada UK. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Dogs or cats? Cats. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Ice cream or frozen yogurt? Ice cream. Painting or music? Painting. Art or science? Art. <laughs> what do you miss most about UK? The people, probably. Aww. What don't you miss about the UK? Um, oh, that's a really good question. I can't think of something I don't miss. <laughs> Ooh. So you don't miss the weather? The weather's worse here. Oh yeah, Canada. <laughs> oh. We, we always complain over here, but it's like snowing. <laughs> yeah, it like rains all the all the time. <laughs> oh, that was I unexpected. Guess, um, maybe the traffic. It's a oh. bit more, it's a bit larger here. So. Mm, fair enough. That's the end of the quiz. I enjoyed that. That wasn't as difficult as I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) It would be really mean of us to give you Matt's question. So Nina, what is it like working as a medical writer? What does that mean to the average person? It's like a really niche job and it does vary according to, you know, what industry you're in. I'm actually working in public health now. So it's really interesting because you end up working on healthcare situations that are very relevant to what's going on. And my particular area is addiction medicine. We do various things. So there's people on our team that actually write guidelines on substance use disorders. And my main focus is writing the educational courses. 
doctors and nurses will take the courses in order to learn more about addiction medicine and they'll actually have to take um, the courses as part of the education pathway to prescribing some of the medications. It's really interesting because for me I don't have a medical background. Um, I got a degree in biology and a master's in developmental biology but then I kind of have to use my knowledge and experience about breaking down complex scientific topics into um, educational courses. And we work together with a huge committee that includes you know, people with lived experience and also doctors working in the field, addiction medicine specialists to kind of work together to bring a really high quality education to people taking our courses. That sounds incredible. Is this something that you thought you would do when you were a kid? No, it's insane. You know, I was just thinking when growing up, I think me personally, I was never really sure about what career choices were available. You kind of thought, oh, you know, you can be a doctor, lawyer, um, (laughs) nurse, what else? Like, did you have any idea about the career? No. Not a clue. No idea. Yeah, same as you, like doctor, lawyer, engineer. Those are the only things you hear or teachers, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's just so niche in yeah. science these days and absolutely wild, the, the types of things people are working on. Yes, I agree. So you studied biology. Was that something you always wanted to study when you were younger? It was one of the subjects I was better at. I think in my mind, I always thought, oh, you could either be someone that's good at science and it automatically makes you bad at English and bad right. at other, at more of the arts or literary subjects. Yeah. So in my head, I just automatically thought I was terrible at English and history. So I went on to study different sciences and maths at A-level and biology was the one I engaged with the most. And also I think I found it the most interesting because it had a really high visual component to it and it involved a lot of memorization and I really loved loved that aspect of it. (laughs) It's interesting that you said that you know back in the day you thought maybe you had to either be a science person or like a humanities person even though historically when we think about really smart people they were all kind of good at everything. When did you kind of realize that actually you're good at everything because let's be real I mean you're incorporating (laughs) history and science uh, and and writing and (laughs) exactly um that's really nice in my head I still think oh I'm terrible at this I have daily panics about my my writing style (laughs) which is insane because my job title is actually a writer I had to I'm actually applying for PR at the moment for Canada because my visa's running out soon I had to do an English test as part of it and I got so worried about taking an English test for some reason my mind I thought I still can't do English (laughs) oh interesting but yeah I think you don't have to be either a science or humanities person it's just part of the package but I feel like we are taught that you can be either or rather than that they both inform one another and especially the arts like yeah the art process itself it really informs science and actually led to medical breakthroughs I'm just thinking about Leonardo da Vinci here and him mapping out all of the muscles in the face in order to bring his artwork alive (laughs) and then he's got the golden ratio as well in his 
art. So yeah, and yeah. that's <laughs> a way to incorporate maths as well. Future podcast idea. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So who are your role models growing up? Did you have any or do you think role models are like important? Yeah, that's a really good question. I didn't actually have any scientific or artistic role models. I think I hadn't really given science too much of a thought. When I applied to university, I didn't think much beyond, you know, getting a degree. What was I going to do after that? And perhaps having a role model might have been, or an understanding of what career options were available to me might have led me to, to go on to a different career path. Yeah, that's fair. And is that kind of what you're hoping to do with Nina Draw Scientists to inspire people? Yeah, just really showcase the availability of careers available. And, you know, even when we think someone's doing a medical degree and their job is you know just going to be mainly patient facing there's so many other roles that you can go into with your medical degree as well and we tend not to know so much about those different careers and also these days when you know there's all these threats looming with climate change and the shift towards technology, those are where all of the jobs are going to be within engineering and tech and yeah. mathematics especially. So you said you don't have any like role models in art or science or anything. So how, how did you get into doing art and painting? For me, I just always loved art. I got completely lost in it. I remember any pieces of homework that incorporated art and I would just spend hours upon hours drawing and trying to perfect it. And I ended up actually really relying on art when I was studying for any exams, even in my undergrad, like using mind maps, um, drawing a lot of diagrams. I was like that person with really, really pretty notes. (laughs) Did you have the gel pens that other people would borrow yeah (laughs) and like always lose the caps (laughs) so for me that was a that was a huge way that I got into art and it was actually after moving to London and I took an illustration course and I started to use art as a way to discover the history of London so I would be illustrating the the people on the blue plaques of London yeah, and that was quite a fun project. They used to do a lot of walking tours that were free, so I just used to sign up to them and like draw along to memorise the history of London. So it was quite, quite fun. Oh, that's amazing! So on the tour, did you like take notes whilst the tour guide would tell you about the history? Yeah, and um, then I'd like stick it up on Twitter, and sometimes the well, the tour guide he retweeted my my notes and said oh "Oh, I can't believe I inspired this um during my historical tour (laughs) in my head I was like oh my god he's just retweeted (laughs) I love that so you you've always been like a student in a sense like constantly learning yeah I think that's um that's really important like that growth mindset yeah Um, like there's always something to learn and I'm forever doing another course or trying to discover a new thing yeah, definitely. There's always something new to learn. So talking about the blue plaques, which story in particular led you to create Science Unhinged and Nina Draws Scientists? Science Unhinged was like my initial account and I actually lost the password to that account. So 
Uh, this is why I started um, Nina Draws Scientists. It's quite funny looking back at that account because there's these really terrible blobby paintings. They're but, not um... bad though. They're actually so good. Like <laughs> yeah. the fact that you think they're bad. <laughs> I think I've definitely improved over the years. Um, but I look back at some of them and like the eyes are freakishly big and <laughs> a bit scary to me. Anyway. So while I was, you know, drawing these. I think I decided to specifically focus on scientists and I started to have a bit more of an inkling towards scientists who are women and I would just go around London, illustrate the person and take a picture of um, my painting next to the blue plaque and then I would also get to discover a new area of London. And Rosalind Franklin's, like where she lived and her blue plaque, it was round the corner from where I was working at the time. So I remember going off one lunchtime to get a picture of my illustration next to where she lived. And it was at a Christmas party that year. And just as a, a fun quiz, they created a slide and it was filled with pictures of different scientists. And it included, I think the only women that were on there were Rosalind Franklin and Marie Curie. The yeah. rest were all men. and. I remember everyone in my team was scratching their heads um, at Rosalind Franklin and in my head I was thinking how do you not know who that is like she discovered DNA and her house is literally round the corner yeah. from where we're yeah. working how do you not know that and I mean it wasn't just them but I think it, to me it really highlighted women in science are not general knowledge and yeah. They should be. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, you recently shared um, something that said that when you search scientist, it comes up with loads of men, but you have to really search women scientist to get women scientists, when in reality, it should be a bit more mixed. Yeah, that's really frustrating to see because on Google's like top people, when you search even the word scientist or famous scientist, it's literally a sea of men, like 50, 53 men, there's less than 10 women. I can't remember the exact figures. And you've got to get really specific in your Google searches. And for someone who's perhaps working on a school project and they just want to pick any scientist, it really limits your choice unless you're consciously making that decision. Yeah. Um, and you know there's so much diversity even within like women of color i mean there's there's so many different populations and to have to get so specific that you're thinking about their nationality it's it's really limiting i think yeah definitely what was it about rosalind franklin that drew you to her story for me it was the story of a forgotten scientist mm -hmm. her work was stolen in addition it felt like her memory was stolen as well because no one no one could remember her yeah and i think that's just really upsetting to me because we're a society that completely forgets the contributions of women and we're very much used to tearing women down yeah and i think rosalind franklin just really represented that to me especially in science as you probably know so watson and crick used her work for their paper on the structure of DNA. They went on to win the Nobel Prize in 1962. 
Rosalind Franklin died in 1958, so she would not have been eligible for the Nobel Prize anyway. But there was just no reference to her work as well. So it was almost like her contributions just didn't matter and they expected it from a woman and that they didn't have to have to credit her work. So Nina, you started off with drawing people from blue plaques in London. How do you get your inspiration for the people you draw now, assuming that there are no blue plaques in Canada? (laughs) Oh yeah, no, there is no blue plaques. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, a big turning point, I think, as it was for many people, was Black Lives Matter in 2020. And I actually had a sit down, I counted everyone that I've illustrated and separated out, you know, how many people of colour have I drawn? How many black women in STEM have I drawn? And I saw that although my results, it matched like the general American population, I felt like it was time to really focus on black women and other women of colour. So at the moment, that's my main focus. So during, at the moment, it's Black History Month as we're recording this. So I've, this is the first year I've made a concerted effort to really celebrate this month and highlight those underrepresented scientists. And I try to include those people that we don't really know too much about. As we're in Canada now, I've been looking for Canadian women in science and I've discovered that there's literally no easily available information about black women like i've been googling so much and i can't find the first black woman who got a phd in canada and it's been finding these people on on blogs and um you know random newspaper articles it's been very difficult to find any information I mean, that's really interesting that it's really hard to find the information. And I remember that there was an instance where Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, there was information about her, but actually her picture wasn't correct. It was of Mary Eliza Mahoney. And Mm. I I learned this from your post. There was this issue. How easy is it to find misinformation about, yeah, less well-known women? That one came because you know, you just assume that the image is correct. And I think I found a very reputable page. There's a page, it's associated with the US National Library of Medicine. Oh, okay. So when it comes to Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, it's not immediately obvious that her photo is incorrect. So as you mentioned, when you Google Rebecca Lee Crumpler, it comes up with Mary Eliza Mahoney, who is the first nurse in the US. When I was just researching more about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler's story from quite reputable sources like the US National Library of Medicine, it actually stated that there's no surviving images of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, but then when you Google her, someone else's image comes up. And I think what had been happening is people had been writing these articles about the first the first woman to obtain a medical degree in the US and then using this this photo of Mahoney and then it kind of perpetuated and more people started using it. And it was Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler Day earlier this year and 
I still saw people using her image, well, using the image of Mahoney. So again, it's just reinforcing that circle. And yeah, you don't actually know that it's the wrong image unless you know who the first woman in the US to get a nursing degree is. Unless you dig a bit deeper about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler's story. You know, when you're making a post to celebrate a day, not everyone has time to do that, all the resources to do that. So it just makes it really easy for that misinformation to spread. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And it goes to show that we have to dig a little bit deeper to get the right information. So another thing I'd like to ask is, which scientist you've illustrated has been most fascinating to you so far? Oh, there's so many. Yeah, there are there are quite a few. There's I find Dr. Mae Jameson absolutely astounding just for the sheer number of different hats that she wore. Like she was an engineer, she was a doctor, and then became the first black woman to go up into space. Oh, I loved that. It was she's an astronaut and I remember seeing the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's just like, she has so many different careers and she's still alive and she does so much for different communities as well. And she comes across as, you know, very engaged as well. I think as well, finding a fascinating story is very different to having like a person that's just a pleasure to illustrate as well. So if there's anyone who works with like trees or anything like that it's automatically so fun to draw because I don't get to draw things like foliage and flowers so much so yeah that's why I love drawing Wangari Matai so much is because she had these pictures wearing like beautiful clothing that was very vibrant and then the contrast of her with these trees it was it was just so fun to draw sometimes as well like people's features that they have are easier to draw than others. And recently I drew Dr. Alondra Nelson. And for some reason, my painting style, like everything was just working out that day. And I think that's probably, (laughs) it's probably the illustration that I'm most proud of, like artistically. Um, And it just, it doesn't have anything to do with her as a person, but for some reason that day and the way her features fall as well, they just all came together in the perfect storm. Oh, I love that. What is your creative process like? I've heard that you listen to classical music whilst you paint. Could you tell us more about that? I absolutely love classical music. I grew up playing the piano and I still play when I do have a piano around. (laughs) I find it's a very nice way to to set the mood and also to make me concentrate on the page. It makes me tune everything out. I can never bring the right words to it, but it almost provides that calm atmosphere to me in order to focus. And, you know, I'm not listening to like serene piano music as well. I'm usually listening to quite intense um, Chopin or something like that. Or Brachmaninoff. When did you start playing piano? Uh, When I was seven. Oh, um, nice. So I've been playing it for for a while. So you're an artist, you are a musician, you're a science writer. Is there anything you can't do? Here's another question. (laughs) I can't dance. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I feel like that's a skill you need these days with TikTok.
has anything surprised you whilst you've been on this journey of, of science communication? Yeah, I like that you use the word journey because it really is a journey. For me, I didn't know that much about feminism or about gender bias or the words surrounding racism. And as part of this, I've been constantly learning and constantly finding out how gender bias impacts science. So I think how much I've learned has been a very nice surprise. That's really nice. Have there been any challenges of social media that you've come across? For me, I have really enjoyed aspects of it. It's made me very consistent with painting. It's made me consistent with researching. Because I'm throwing something out there and I've got an audience, it kind of gives me that additional push to yeah. make sure that I'm being consistent. Whereas if I was doing it by myself, you know, there'll be some weeks where I don't always commit. Yeah. The struggle I'm going through at the moment is how to actually create change. Like, I don't have my comments open to people that don't follow me. So I'm not out there, you know, responding to people challenging their thoughts if there's any negative comments on my page. I don't know whether social media can change someone's mind. So me like typing a response back, I don't know if that's going to affect change. So that's been my current battle. What I've reframed it as is giving people who are interested in the topic and already kind of within my echo chamber the tools that they need in order to go off and have those conversations so if they're having to go to a meeting and say oh we should perhaps feature more women scientists in our materials this month or on our web page this month and having that evidence like oh you know even when you google scientists no women come up why don't we feature more women on our website or something like that it just gives them the tools in order to have those conversations that will hopefully lead to change yes yeah definitely i think that's so important it's funny because because we don't have our comments open to everyone either and, and we're not even posting things that you would assume someone might have an issue with so social media is just a weird place yeah it is a very strange place I always think you never quite know what someone's going through themselves you never know how they're reading something and I think sometimes people react uh, without thinking about who's on the other side of that account. Yeah. Like it's not just an account, it's a person or yeah. people. So a few years ago, you advocated for the £50 note to have a woman mm -hmm. scientist featured. What other, other ways do you think we can, you know, feature women in science to be more mainstream? That's a great question. There are so many ways. I actually love that there is more representation of women in science. So last year, Netflix released the show with Emily Calangelli, Emily's Wonder Lab, and it was a show geared towards children with science experiments, and it was presented by an engineer and scientist who was at the time pregnant as well. So it just had so many different points of representation. I thought that was fantastic. But social media as well, I'm really glad that there's more scientists on social media. I think that's so cool that you can follow an astronaut and yeah. that, you know, they're just there on social media. It does shake things up a bit yeah, rather than definitely. it being all about, you know, fashion or 
you know, your holidays or yeah. something else that can actually lead to you feeling bad about your own life or your own situation. You know, having more black and other people of colour as characters within TV shows that are working in science. So we always have that stereotype of a guy working in IT who's from India. Like, <laughs> why not have that guy as like, you know, for a rom-com, why not have him as the attractive yeah. man, um, yeah. you know, who happens to be leading a tech company or something. I just think we do need to increase that representation in science, but then for it not only to be about someone who is a scientist, but it needs to include people from diverse backgrounds. Yeah, definitely. How well do you think that the mainstream media or Hollywood has done so far? I mean, there are films like Hidden Figures that have come sort of recently, which, um, how effective do you think they are? I think Hidden Figures was absolutely fantastic. It just highlights the need of writing more books. Like it was based on a book and yeah. a really well-researched, phenomenal book. It just goes to show you need more people to start writing about women in science and finding those stories and you know, making them into a group and having that passion to bring their stories alive. You know, in some books they tend to focus on maybe one woman who's had an epic story, but having these groups as well is also important. So I guess it's books and Hollywood and movies and TV shows working together. I mean, it's interesting because I remember seeing The Imitation Game and mm. I don't know if you've seen that, but um, Kira Knightley's character is I think she's like a maths person in that film and everyone's really shocked they're like oh a woman doing maths and it'd be really great for for there to be a situation where we're in the future and we're watching a film and it's just not a weird thing at all it's it's just very very normalized yeah and when you think about it there are so many although the percentages are low the absolute yeah. numbers there are so many women working in maths like it should not yeah. be a surprise anymore but again they don't get the recognition or they're not as pictured within the company you know all of these things conspire together to make us think that science as a whole is is a man's world you're totally right in saying that the absolute numbers are quite high for women who are in these fields but do you think that women avoid stem fields sometimes so I have read reports where particularly girls and young women taking A-level subjects, some have actually said they don't see themselves in science and you can actually tell by the figures that less girls and young women are taking scientific subjects like maths, economics, IT, computing, but then they're overrepresented in the humanities. So it starts probably from GCSE and it's having this tangible impact already at A-level. And then it has a knock-on effect. So then next it's less women pursuing um, scientific subjects. Like when you went to school, how many people were in your A-level maths class? And I'm assuming, did you take further maths as well? So my further maths class, so we kind of had to sort of choose modules. So in the mechanics one, which I didn't choose, that was very, very guy dominated. But in my one, it was about 50-50, mm. um, which is interesting. But the thing that struck me was that the guys were very focused on maths and they kind of just wanted to do that. Whereas the girls, we all sort of were interested in a bunch of things mm. and we kind of chose maths as one of the things we might have perhaps pursued. That's really interesting. So had like a bit more of a diverse offering. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. What was it like for you, Zoe? It was 50-50 for me as well. And like you say, 
the males in the class they were more focused on what they wanted to do and the females weren't quite sure that was the case for me as well I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at a level at a level at university (laughs) (laughs) yeah no but I think physics was really guy dominated um there was only like three girls in my class and everyone else was a guy when I was at school or in my particular school maths it was quite there was less girls further maths which I didn't do I think there was only one girl in the class and same with physics so it was and you know, I was graduating from my high school in like 2008 it's something I didn't notice at the time but looking back and having read these reports and seeing these figures you you do realize that particularly those math subjects are very male dominated yeah yeah although we went to a sixth form college which is probably why our numbers are so much higher because I'm thinking a normal school doesn't have that many people taking further maths sometimes it's only like a handful of students but we had like a thousand people in our year group so that's also possibly why yeah there's those factors (laughs) if there's anything you could change about the curriculum in schools what would you change so that you know to encourage girls to take more stem based subjects and pursue those careers I do think we need more representation within the science curriculum Mm -hmm. so I know Teach First did a survey at the GCSE double science curriculum they had a look at which scientists were mentioned and I think there was something like 40 men were mentioned but then there was only two women Rosalind Franklin (laughs) (laughs) and Mary Curie probably (laughs) no Mary Leakey oh Oh. yeah what, what about Mary Curie? Isn't she the most famous? Right. As in the only person to have won two Nobel two. Prizes. <laughs> and she exactly. doesn't make the count. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got to do these days <laughs> as a woman to get on the list? Yeah. <laughs> Nobel Prizes aren't that impressive. Apparently. How much more progress do we need in the future? And how do you think we can get there? Oh, it varies per country. I do think, you know, Western countries like the UK, America, Canada, the fact that women are receiving like a basic education up until at least 16 years old is so important. But there's so much progress to be done in other countries. I mean, if you look at some other countries, the way that they treat the women in their population and how their education isn't prioritized I think globally we need a culture shift that education for girls is so important for the economy for their own lives even if um you know someone says oh well they're just going to have go off and have babies and become a mother and they can't do anything (laughs) else there is a value giving girls and young women that education because there's studies that have shown that if someone chooses to become a mother after their education it actually makes them better as mothers and um, Mm. also have less children because they tend to delay having children until they've completed their education. That's so interesting. Yeah it's really fascinating and it's up to individuals what they want to do but giving them a choice is really important. Definitely. And something that can lead to financial stability as well. I remember seeing an interview with Katherine Johnson and she asked her interviewer, um, did you like maths? And he was like, no, not really. And she instantly asked, was your mother interested in maths? And he was like, no, not really. And she was like, trust me, anyone whose mother is into maths will 
be interested in maths and she had this idea and for anyone listening Catherine Johnson is one of the women featured in Hidden Figures one of the first black women to uh I'm having a mind blank she did so many things though she was in the space program (laughs) she yeah she was one of the uh, mathematicians to plot the trajectory of the moon landing and back I believe yes that's the one thank you thank you for finishing my sentence (laughs) okay Nina what makes a good scientist in your opinion, because you've emphasised that there's no narrow, defined type of person who should be a scientist or pursue STEM? I work in public health at the moment, and I guess from being in my field for quite a while, I really think the importance of a good scientist is made by collaboration and being able to collaborate. So being receptive to new ideas, being able to collaborate with other people with different skill sets, and also being open to constructive criticism as well. And at the end of the day, I think that leads to a much better offering. Oh, definitely. I love that you said the collaboration because I see this quite a lot in the maths community. Everyone wants to be like the next person to solve something, but actually multiple minds work much better together. Yeah, it's a very common thought that there's, you know, just one person working on this brilliant idea because we've idolised figures like Einstein. But then realising that these scientific discoveries are as a result of teams of people and multiple people working on things like even if you look at a scientific research paper how many different authors there are yeah like everyone would have their own different niches and their own different roles but they formed part of a team and then even by offering nobel prizes we limit how many times we can split a nobel prize to three there's a huge scientific discovery and then you can only choose three people to be awarded for that it does build this narrative that there's an individual in science as opposed to the whole team yeah Oh, no, I love that. So there might be an I in science, but there's no I in team, guys. <laughs> so would you like to tell us what you've got planned next for Nina Draw Scientists? What your next illustration is on? or Yeah, I guess my next illustration, because it's still Black History Month, I did want to work on celebrating Black women in STEM. So I was thinking about doing a post about a timeline of the first to get PhDs, so the first black woman to get a maths PhD, who is Martha Euphemia Lofton Hayes, and she got her PhD at 53, which is amazing. I love that whole a life of education. And the first black woman in America to get a physics PhD, chemistry, economics, like those figures are, are quite readily available and easy to find. So that was my next post. I think for me as well, what I struggle with is how I can make change and how I can benefit someone else. And I've been looking at organisations to donate posters of black women in STEM so they can either use them for fundraising initiatives of their own so they can sell them for people to download and print off and put in their classrooms or they can give it away as resources to their communities as well. And I found a couple of organisations in the UK and some in America. I do get a lot of messages from people about whether they can purchase the posters anywhere or whether it's available as a poster. So I wanted to do something that 
benefits the community that I'm actually illustrating and leads to change as opposed to me like profiting off something oh I love that it's very <laughs> thoughtful and I speak for I think both of us that we've learned so much from your page so much so much uh, I did not know so many people um uh, for example the first uh, black woman to get a PhD in America that's just another example so yeah thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience both as a medical writer and as a science communicator it's been so so interesting hearing your viewpoints on so many different aspects thank you so much for having me this was so much fun to meet you as well so yeah oh, thank, thank you. you thank you for, for <laughs> coming um where can our listeners find you instagram twitter oh yeah so instagram i'm at Nina Draws Scientists, or you can search Nina Cheetah, and on Twitter, I'm Nina Cheetah, but I am not brilliant at using Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant, thank you.